I'm Hannah Sims. I'm Josh Esparza. And this is Thin Space, a place for conversations where the ordinary and sacred meet through spirituality, justice, and change. Welcome to part two of our conversation with Katie Pryor and Joshua Manning. We're going to get into our conversation that we had with them a couple of weeks ago, but Josh and I are intentionally not going to do any extended commentary at the end of this episode. Uh, We think it is important to let the two black people in the room say what they're going to say and then not have us rephrase it for the sake of commentary at the end of this. Yeah, I mean, the reality is there's there's really not much we can say that further expands um, their experiences, their opinions. And um, we really want to be mindful that um, we, we strategically and intentionally invited Joshua and Katie into this conversation, given um, our current social and political climate. And um, we, we believe that their voices should be the voices heard and listened to and um, provoke new thoughts or ideas or even make us a little uncomfortable. And so um, I hope you enjoy what Katie and Joshua have to bring to our conversation and you'll hear from us a little bit after that i had a christmas sermon where i talked about you know what what it meant for jesus to be born in a a manger and be placed into a feeding trough um the young man because of where he was from and his mother was an unwed teenage mother he could not find somewhere to be born that was sanitary. It's, you know, like, hey, well, we see your brain, you said had a baby outside. In other, but here's the thing, they bought their animals and livestock inside the house at night. So we have room for our livestock. We don't have room for this, this pregnant mother who is ready to give birth at any second. And it reminded me of a contemporary issue in which, which people uh, shed tears over ASPCA infomercial in a way that they do not shed tears over dead bodies of black and brown people. Um, And it let me know that what scripture says is really true. There is nothing new under the sun. Literally, nothing new. The person that we understand to be the incarnation of the word could not be born in a house for livestock being there. And people cannot get sympathy, just like sympathy, forget justice. Or empathy. Can I get sympathy for people not having enough tears after having shed them for some animals? But I'm just here. I don't. I don't not. I'm not I don't not love pets. I'm just saying, it's problematic. Oh, it's like the response of people who watched the video that just went viral of Mr. Christian Cooper, who was videoing Amy Cooper, which the last name thing can get confusing in the articles I was reading. But the people whose response was. Yeah, but did you see the way she was treating her rescue dog? It's like, are you kidding me? The dog was yelping. Yeah, and it's <laughs> like there's a bigger thing that we're talking about. But I'm here. like, the justice that we're talking about from that interaction cannot be the fact that the animal rescue got the dog back. Like mm-hmm. that's not what the conversation is. Good grief. But she was more concerned about where her dog was running at than following the rules. Like that right. is wild to me. That's what I was talking about, right? And that's why it's not like it I am not surprised because I am used to a particular demographic caring more about their pets than they do about other human beings. And I'm I am used to it. Uh because it's it's been a, it's been a theme my entire life. Um like and again, pets are important. Don't don't misunderstand me when I say that. It is just they are also not people, created beings 
by a loving God, but not necessarily made in the image of God in the same way that other humans are. And there's a distinction there. Um, and oftentimes we do not honor that distinction. And so like, yeah, yeah, she was mistreating the dog. We get that. But also she had her dog somewhere the dog wasn't supposed to be. And, and Mr. Cooper, Christian Cooper was also trying to honor creation. The man was like, there is a plant life that is unique to New York City in a cemented space. And the purpose of you not having your dog run through here is so that this plant life that is um, native to this space can be preserved. So yes, you're white. You should understand about what 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 uh, preservationists and environmentalists have done to make sure that this <laughs> right, <laughs> right. But you have a black man making a case to a white woman about the environment. That is wild to me, and she still won't hear him. I'm curious to get um, your third your thoughts and perspectives on this idea of diversity. I, I keep hearing this a lot, um, and maybe that's because like in our context and in, in Dallas, our our churches are really spending a lot of time focusing on racial competency and racial awareness. Um, but it, but it's this weird thing that it seems to be that churches really want to be more diverse because they want to check this box that says like, we, we are not homogenous. We're not this echo chamber. Like we're not racist. And so we need some representation either on our worship team. We need representation on our youth staff. Like we need something here. Um, but it, for me, it always seems to be like, it is primarily white people asking for diversity. Like, like I don't hear a lot of congregations of color saying like, we need to be more integrated with white churches. And so I'm curious, like, do you, do you think that's helpful? And like, what, like, where do you think this line of thinking is leading people? I mean, it's like I said earlier, you don't have a lot of black and brown churches saying, oh yes, let's hurry up, integrate because as we've been discussing <clears throat> for most of this podcast is a lot of times when we are in circles with predominantly European white people, we don't know if we're gonna survive that moment or that day. Mm. So of course, in our place of worship and sacredness where we are connecting with God, we're not gonna say, oh, let's invite our chance to meet our maker a little sooner. <laughs> Telling you, and, that, and that's the thing, right? It's amazing to me because we, we, we have conversations a lot about faith. Mm-hmm. Right and how we are there. God doesn't see color, right? We're all Christians. Right? The Imago Day, right? Right. There shouldn't there shouldn't be black churches and white churches and and Latinx churches. Uh, there shouldn't be all that. We're all there is no longer Jew nor Greek, right? Slave nor free. We all male or female. We've all heard the Galatians text used over and over again. <laughs> but here's the thing: white people didn't care when they bombed black churches. Mm. Dylan Roof didn't care when he showed up to a prayer meeting and killed a whole bunch of people who were praying right like sharing the same god has never kept us safe and the reality is i would argue and i'm just keeping 100 is because we don't share the same god for me the holy spirit emboldens you to speak truth to power yet most of our conversations are about where i can't say that here because this will happen i'll alienate this group i don't i don't care who i alienated the reality is in any other space, it's always Christianity versus the world, or Christ against culture. But now, when it, we're in the space where you're supposed to be holding people accountable to what this book says, we can't do that because we don't want to alienate them? The reality is, at the end of the day, um, our faith calls us more often than not to choose a side. And that is the, that is the, the hardest thing about being 
in this era of the church is that we don't choose sides. We're trying to help everybody all the time. What scripture teaches us is that God chooses sides. Hmm. And in the entire Bible, we see multiple instances in which God just chooses a side. Um, And reality is most times it is the side of right and justice. It's not power. It's never, ever the side of power. More often than not, God is saying, well, I'm really in control here. And since you think you're in control, I'm just going to like make your whole uh, empire crumble beneath your feet. Right? That's what typically happens. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's like, well, yeah, you built this empire and yeah, you think you're in control, but you're not. I am. And so I will, I will remind you of that. Did it to his own, like the own people. The reality is like in, in, in that, in the Old Testament, we see more instances of Israel being punished for, for reflecting the empire they escaped. Right. So every time they looked like Egypt, God was like, ah, that's not who I, who I called you to be. You have to try again. <laughs> Everything was always, this is not who I called you to be. Try again. Go spend some time uh, in exile and then come back when you get it right. Or when, like, your generation of people die off, right? Like, Telling because you. now we have to start over because you, you tried and, and you resemble this thing that you hated and believed was not right. And yet you became the thing that you hated the most. It's ingrained in you, right? So it's a pathogen. Right? Sin, sin is a pathogen. I'm just going to use the term as sin. Sin is a pathogen, right? It permeates all healthy space and makes it sick. Paul says evil communication corrupts good manners. No matter how good you think you are, the more you spend time around evil, the, the more desensitized you become to it. And as you become desensitized to it, you either become uh, complicit in your bystanding or you become an active participant. Mm-hmm. I'm just here. <laughs> so what are churches, what do they need to do? Like, I'm, I'm curious, like, we, if we're talking about our local context, like we are, we have some pretty stark division in our congregations where our black communities are located, where our brown communities are located, and then where our white <clears throat> congregations are located. And like, what, what does it look like to move forward and actually be about the things that we talk about? I mean, you can start with drinking water <clears throat> and minding your business first. And that could save a lot of black lives. Um, But no, seriously, I think we are moving in this realm of comfortable faith. That's why I think it's easier for people to say, oh, I'm going to send my $2 to this sick animal because if they die, they die. Don't you think we've been there for a long time, though? (laughs) But that's comfortable. Nobody wants to be uncomfortable versus like, oh, they're actively killing human beings. But it also goes back to... Y'all were talking earlier and I was thinking, it's interesting how we went from associating black bodies with dogs and beasts, and then when they became a being and figure that was no longer supposedly easy to control, they were no longer this pet Mm. aspect. Mm -hmm. And so now that they're no longer a pet aspect, it's like, oh, if I kill you, you die, versus like, oh, sick an animal, let me give two dollars. And that's why I said proximity is important because a lot of it is based on the fact that we're not in close enough proximity with people to know what they're really going through. And to, to, to Katie's point, I think part of it is like, it's about relationships and not relationships where you're like telling your black friends like, oh man, so, so what do you think? You know, I'm interested to hear your thoughts. I'm, I know you're, I know you're upset, but like, but like why? And like, how upset are you? 
And like, man, but 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 really? And so and like and, and imagine a white church inviting a person of color on their staff to be the person to always bear that weight. Mm-hmm. That's corny. No, oh, it's terrible. It's- and, I, and I wouldn't do it. That's why I didn't do it. Like I would never do that. Um, I used I used to man I used to look forward to being the one of the few black voices in in these spaces where like it's primarily white. I'm like I'm gonna I'm gonna break the color barrier. I'm gonna get in there. No, I, I would. I don't. I can't say that I have the same level of passion about that, mm-hmm. because I know what it comes with, and most of it is alienation, and then sitting there and trying to communicate to people um, what they don't understand, and doing it over and over and over again. So, case one, a lot of churches you're talking about. Um, I'm talking about diversity, but but you you named something that was super important to me. You said you talked about primarily staff positions that are the help. Right, people know black people can do music. That's how jazz came about. Mm-hmm. Right, we they know we can do music. Yo, let's get one of them to sing. That's easy. Or you know, let's get one of them to help uh, to assist the youth ministry, or be in the youth ministry. You know, to, to, or or to to work our cafe that we put into our church. Or okay, like any of the things. Or you got a history of working the land. So. Facilities. I'm telling you, that's one of the other things. Like being a being a student at Perkins at SMU was frustrating because mm-hmm. most of the people that looked like us that worked at the university were were either driving that shuttle, working the land, or were contractors through Aramark in one of the food service spaces, which means they couldn't have access to reduced tuition for their offspring. Right. Right. That, that is, that is, that is systemic oppression. That's what we're talking about. So anyway, and in other parts too, which will keep on as much as, as much as some of these white churches may, may want to have, like, argue some of us on our, on their staffs, they don't really want profits. They don't want people to really piss up, piss off their members and then affect their profit. That's right. You can't affect the bottom no, dollar. No, 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 no. Well, you know, I, I just, I'm so grateful that you're here. Just so grateful that you're uh, passionate about justice, but can you tone it down a bit? Because some of the givers are giving upset. This isn't a country club. Well, right. Either you want, on who you ask. but either you want to grow in your faith or you don't. Right. Point blank. Period. And evangelical evangelical churches have never done this, right? Non-denom churches are growing because they don't care how you feel about what they're telling you. They're going to tell you what they believe is true, and they want you to live into that. My job as a pastor is to help shepherd you on your journey. It's not to tell you what to do, but it is to give you a clear picture of what I believe scripture says about what it means to be a faithful Christian, both in your personal life and in your social life. And if you have a problem with that, find another church to be at. Or change the way you act. I don't care how you feel about me because I have a lifelong uh, experience of not being accepted for a number of different reasons, primarily the way my skin looks. And so I'm going to do what I believe I have to do regardless of how anybody feels about it. Um, and, that, and that's not being ignorant. That's not being foolish. That's just a fact of the matter. And that's why there are black churches and white churches. That's why there are black churches that are never that will never be a part of United Methodism. That's why you can't get the AME Church to come back. You can't get mm-hmm. the CME Church to come back. You can't get the AME Zion Church to come back. You can't get any of them to come back because you can't convince them that you can lead them well. Hannah, what is, uh, as a person who grew up in church and has been around church a lot, whether you personally have participated in it or just in your orbit, like, how have you seen this conversation and ideology shift or change or yeah yeah so I grew up in the churches of Christ my dad was a preacher uh the senior pastor at the church that I grew up at and I feel like I vaguely I just remember people being so hesitant to talk about it period 
just like a fear of stepping on people's toes and saying the wrong thing. Therefore, I, I mean, I just don't remember the conversations being had. I think we wanted diversity for the sake of diversity in especially in a predominantly white congregation in a not necessarily predominantly white neighborhood. And there's a lot of guilt wrapped up in that. And I think when white people feel guilty, we end up gaslighting things and it's just not helpful and productive. Um, But I mean, we also, I left that church when I was probably 15 or 16 mm-hmm. and haven't necessarily been super involved in one ever since since coming to Owenwood until now until now <laughs> um, do you think especially white evangelical churches I can't imagine that they bring up these conversations well but if someone is going to church in a white evangelical church this Sunday morning and the name George Floyd isn't mentioned is that problematic, and and why is that, or why isn't it? I don't know. I used to think it was problematic, yeah. and, and now I just don't know. Me too. Um, and the reason the reason I just don't know is because I think that pastors have a duty to create spiritually enriching content that leads people closer to being um, the image of Christ, and that means speaking against things like racism and whatever else have you, but the way teaching happens in different settings kind of just is what it is, right? If, I, if, if, if his name isn't mentioned, you can argue that they're just, you know, skimming over the top of whatever. But I've seen it done in plenty of churches that are full of even white progressives, right? So just keeping 100. Um, so I don't necessarily have a problem with it, but I do think they have something that we do not have. And that is a common language. Scripture is a common language for more conservative spaces. And in most moderate to left-leaning, predominantly white congregations, Scripture is not the common language. Which is why white conservatives and white liberals can never have a conversation about race. Because white liberals don't know the Bible. Keep 100, generally speaking. Yeah. Don't know the Bible. Right? So like, you can't talk to anybody because be- that's the book for them. And the reality is, in order to have change, you have to have a common language. Um, now, unfortunately, black Christians and white Christians have shared a common language for a very long time, and it hasn't made a whole bunch of difference. I'd argue black Christians probably know the Bible a lot better, um, generally speaking. Because you were forced to. Had, forced to. Had to. <laughs> had to. Yeah. But it, that's the thing about So I'd say this is, this is what's interesting to me about the image of a black preacher. For a long time, black preachers have been forced to preach to other black people what white people believe they should be saying. Mm. Yet, all the while they were preaching, were saying things that people couldn't catch. All right, so speaking in code, using scripture to their people and help them hold on to hope. All right, but also know that faith without works is dead, which means we have to do something. And a lot of black preachers uh, were lynched and killed. Nat Turner was a preacher. Um... There's a guy. It was. It was. I think I was in. My, I was in Montego Bay. There's a preacher whose whose um, statue is in the middle of, of a downtown circle. The reality is, uh, black preachers were very active before the civil rights movement when it came to things like abolition. I mean, there's a book called um, Water Dancer by Ta-Nehisi Coates, and it talks about the the power of conduction, and conduction is essentially being able to call up memories. Um, 
from ancestors, whatever else have you, to carry people on the Underground Railroad or the path to freedom. And part of part of inducing a conduction is being able to tell the story. Right? Isn't that something? Mm. Part of getting people free uh, for the conductors in the book, those who were gifted with the power of conduction, was telling the story. So one of the conductors in the story is Harriet Tubman, who they call Moses, right? A woman called Moses. Um, and there's a, there's a scene in the book in which she basically preaches a sermon. Imagine this, a woman preaching in the 1800s and her brothers are sitting there cheering her on. And their response, the call and response leads to uh, this sort of magic trance that carries them over very, very um, dangerous territory and terrain to their destination of freedom. And so, so I think that's for me is the, diff the difference. It's always been a task of the black preacher specifically to tell the story in such a way so that people can get free. Generally speaking, white preachers have been trying to maintain status quo in their preaching. Um, just speaking generally, that's that's what's happened. Unless your name um, is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Unless your name is Dietrich that's, Bonhoeffer, that's a throwback man, I right? But but say unless you need, unless your name about Dietrich in a long time. Unless your name is Dietrich Bonhoeffer, I don't believe it. Like Michael Flager in Chicago, mm -hmm. anomaly. Most people they're trying to get people free from personal sin. There's no there's no there's no freedom from societal sin, because racism doesn't exist. We don't know all the facts. All the fact of the matter is, you don't know how much sin you're still carrying around. Paul says, as long as we're in this body, we are still subject to sin in some way, shape, or form. Which means we are always growing up of, of, well, in our knowledge and in our awareness of the ways in which we are still in sin, even though we claim to be freed by Christ. So, so what do we do with people, um, because I've heard this from both sides, people who go to black people and say like, hey, Teach me how to be less racist. Like, like, tell me your experiences. I've heard lots of pastors say, like, just go befriend a black person. Hear about what it's like to be uh, their life and in a day in their life and, like, learn from them. And then create that will naturally create empathy and awareness and then allows you to be um, more of an ally, which doesn't sound like an ally at all. It sounds problematic, assumptive and token. Uh, those conversations are always difficult, especially when you're dealing with somebody who perceives racism as violent acts. And like, mm. I'm not racist, but do you participate in X, Y, Z activities? Oh yeah, that is racist, huh? So it all depends on how they come to you with that conversation. But like I said in the beginning, like I'm tired of having to be the spokesperson for like how your behavior is racist or what you can do to stop racism. Because also if we as a church can stop Asking black people to lead the end of racism in conferences, that would be perfect. Great. <laughs> but I don't know, like, stop asking us, like, how you can stop being racist and just stop being racist. Mm -hmm. Right. That, that's most of us, right? Most of us have sat here and said, oh, just stop doing it. The reality is, we are struggling because we're trying to communicate something to you, as you mentioned earlier, Katie, that you just refuse to understand. Right? That's how it works. 
And you have to make yourself understand because you're not, most times you're not aware of it. And so it's like, okay, I could see that. But the other, to your point, Josh, I just think befriending us to the end of becoming non-racist is how you get yourself in trouble. Right, so like, I don't want to be racist anymore. Let me just find a black friend who can help me not do that. Again, the onus is still on us to help you learn what, you, what your mom and daddy should have taught you. And like, even the way you find the black friend is racist. Like, oh, not that one. A little bit too thuggish for me. Oh, collar, come on. Look at those J's. Come on. But I'm telling well, you, listen, do this. listen, let me tell you. Let me tell you, okay? Y'all know this. We have some, there's a, a spectrum of black clergy in our conference, Right. Um, Hannah doesn't know this. Oh, Hannah, she's learning it so in Hannah, real you, time. Hannah, so Hannah, you have to, you have to, you have to meet us. But like, there's this, like the young black clergy are, I think, like are sort of just like spectrum. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's a full spectrum in a short, like just a short distance, like four or five people. You're like, well, actually, no, it's like six or seven because there's some who are serving in predominantly white churches that we just don't get, we don't get with mm-hmm. often for a number of different reasons. But um, yeah, like somebody will show up in in. Jordans and somebody else will show up in a full suit and he was like but y'all all talk to each other you're all friends it's like oh wow oh man which which one <laughs> which one should I talk to I can't walk up to all four of them at the same time or five of them at the same time I mean, let me talk to the light skinned one with the curly hair maybe, maybe that maybe that will that will work um, or, or you know maybe we'll talk to the one that looks like a teddy bear right? like, the reality is at the end of the day um, that's not how you make friends, right? In general, <laughs> how would you normally make friends? You get to know people, right? You're in close, you're in close enough proximity where you start to share common things, and it's like, all right, cool, we're cool. So there's a lot to digest in our conversation with Katie and Joshua, and um, actually in our show notes too, we'll have additional books that Joshua um, referenced in the episode, and then actually some books that he referenced outside of what made it into the recording. Um, Just to further continue your experience and understanding of um, black culture, specifically in um, a social context, but also in church context as well. Um, And as we continue our conversation, I really want to spend a little time talking about choosing a side, Hannah, um, because I think this is really crucial for our churches right now. Um, If you're not super familiar with Owen Wood, um, it was an old Methodist church that closed, and we have taken it over as a part of White Rock United Methodist Church, making our second campus. Um, And we are doing the hard work of choosing to do work differently in the way that we believe churches can engage in, in community development, um, that churches can come in and connect with our neighbors and do the long and hard work of um, identifying assets and gifts, and also um, creating environments where our neighbors that are primarily people of color and working class have the opportunity to share their gifts and assets. And like that is very intentional in our work. Like that is that is us attempting to create a different type of church DNA um, because we believe that is the work that brings justice. We believe that is the work that is equitable. And we believe by intentionally investing in this work, though it may not meet the traditional metrics and expectations of institutional church, uh, that this can lead us to creating a type of community that is holy, um, that is beautiful, and that ultimately talks about the kind of love that we see constantly talked about in the Bible, um, whether it is people with God directly or the love that Jesus talks about in the accounts that we have in his life and ministry. And so uh, 
uh, I was really encouraged by that because that is, that's a hard choice to make. It is hard to choose a side that you are constantly going uphill. Um, it is hard to participate in work that feels um, Sisyphean where you are pull, pushing a boulder up a hill that you feel like eventually and inevitably will continue to roll back down. Um, but, but in that labor and in that stress and in that intensity is where we discover um, the beautiful things of what's in each of us and the work that we can do together. Um, and I think like that is the future of the church and that is a new opportunity for the church. Now, now whether churches get there or not, I don't know, but like we are making the intentional work that as we do this work here at Owenwood and the churches that we are connected with beyond that, um, that we can do something different. Yeah, and we're doing that because we consistently see in scripture when the character of God is revealed, that is what Jesus does consistently. We are very clearly and distinctively choosing a side here uh -huh. because we see God doing that consistently in Scripture, and our faith calls us to do that. Yeah, I mean, if we want to go back and, and look at the Old Testament and we see really with Israel the, the ebbs and flows that they have, and we see this idea of like as Israel becomes more of the people in power that God essentially tries to pull them back. And, and sometimes God does that with prophets um, and, and with miracles to try and reorient them back to the way that God desires the people of Israel to be. Or sometimes God just makes them wait and makes generations die off. And, and does not allow certain people who are associated with Israel to try and continue to do um, what what their envision and idea ideal would be of what's new and better. Um, and I think that's true with churches. Like churches um, can fall really easily into this consumer trap of how can we provide the most things necessary for people and how can we be really shiny and how can we make sure that our production is really high quality um, and that all the things are checked off for our people so that they can come in, so that they'll invite their friends, so that they can sustain our work. And, and really what we discovered at Owenwood is like, yes, those things are helpful, um, and those things definitely make things easier, but they're not, it's not the end all be all. That there are people who are generous, there are people who are willing to come up with alternative avenues to create sustainability and to create programming. Um, and it's gonna be really hard, it's gonna be exhausting, um, but it might actually reflect the character of God in a way that we often do not see in our churches who are focused on um, how can we just provide the most for people to consume. Um, which I think is also a part of the disconnect with our congregations too, that if we continue to create people who are just focused on consuming but not giving, and then there's a loss in understanding who they are and what role that they have to play in the greater good that God is calling us to. Right, and that's what Joshua and Katie are both reiterating in the conversation that we had with them. It's that when God is choosing a side, it is consistently not choosing power. It is consistently choosing justice totally yeah and i think uh joshua also talks a little bit about that like when people begin to respond that way when congregations begin to understand that they have agency that they have the ability to then go and choose to do something different um then they they are invited into this type of proximity into underserved communities to communities that are black or brown or indigenous communities and they get to place themselves into that community um but the 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 motivation and the, the tact in which that happens is pretty crucial. Yeah. We talked about proximity in part one of this, but I also think it's very important to clarify that when we talk about proximity, we are not talking about closeness for the sake of closeness. 
I listened to a podcast that Austin Channing Brown was on um, with Brene Brown, and she made the point of when white people hear proximity, they think, get a black person in your life to literally be proximate to. Mm. We need to be very clear to our listeners, too, that that is not what we're saying. And when Joshua and Katie are calling for proximity, they are not saying, get close to us for the sake of getting close to us. Do not treat black people and people of color as tokens for the sake of it. Get close to them in the sense of actually do life with people, become friends with them, just like you would anyone else. We do not want proximity for the sake of proximity here. Yeah, and, and I think like Joshua and Katie said this in, in various points of our conversation is that uh, like black people are tired. They're tired of having to tell people who are not black um, what it's like to be constantly persecuted, what it's like to be angry from generational oppression, um, what it's like to have to be nervous when you leave your house or to even like not feel comfortable in your house. Um, and, and I think like there's when we choose to participate in proximity, that is an intentional choice not to just check that box, but it is intentional with curiosity and care to want to connect and to um, facilitate and, and embody the cultural differences and appreciation of what those things have to offer and and like that that's hard to do sometimes it feels foreign it may make us uncomfortable um, but it creates a different level of connection and um, empathy that then leads us to recognize and to speak on behalf of people who may not have an opportunity to speak for, for themselves and to speak against those injustices because ultimately we believe like this is how things are going to change um, we have to be aware of it. We have to be willing to talk about it. Um, but we also have to be immersed in a way that is not just a pat on our back. Right. So we're going to leave it as that. We are thankful for Katie and Joshua giving us their time and having this conversation with us. Um, and this is a conversation that I think inevitably will probably come up on more episodes because this is not just for this specific time and place, this is an ongoing conversation that we need to have and that we very much intend on continue talking about. We'll talk to you all soon. Check I us out on Instagram for all the things coming up. Thin Space is recorded at Owenwood Farm and Neighbor Space in Far East Dallas. You can find us on Instagram at Thin Space Pod and learn more about our work at owenwood.org. Don't forget to hit subscribe to stay up to date on all our content. This episode was mixed and produced by Brady DuBose.